my fellow investors, welcome back to another episode of the Newcomer Investor Channel, where we talk about stocks, share insights, and debate. Hope you're all having a wonderful time. As always, really appreciate everyone who's been supporting. You know, if you like this podcast, make sure to give us a five-star rating on Spotify or on Apple or a subscribe on YouTube. You know the deal. This may be the last episode until July because I am just a few days away from getting married. It is finally happening. So excited. And that will be my priority, of course. So yeah, lots of celebration ahead. But don't worry, I love doing this podcast and I will be back in July. Now, before we officially begin, I have to remind all of you listening, if you are new to this podcast, nothing I say is financial advice. In fact, it's all entertainment only. I've made plenty of mistakes in the past, and I will make many more, so always do your own research. Anyway, to start off this episode, I want to answer some questions that were asked a couple of weeks ago uh, on YouTube on episode 33, and I really apologize, my friend, I did not see your question, uh, but thank you for bringing it back on my radar on Twitter. And I say this for everyone listening, if you ask me something and I don't respond, I'm not ignoring you, it's most likely I just haven't seen it because all the notifications, it is hard to keep track sometimes. So feel free to, you know, send me a DM or just ask the same question again. And uh, at some point I will see it and I will respond. Okay, so your question one was about tools to assess a company. This could be in Excel. In the most recent guest episode, the dividend guy talked about a framework that he likes to use. Yes, the dividend triangle, it's a good one. Would be pretty cool to hear you talk about how you approach this. Do you have a sheet in which you plug in the numbers and check whether it's a pass or fail? Excellent question, my friend. Uh, currently, the only uh, investing thing that I do with Excel is not for assessing companies. It's just uh, I plug in the, the ticker symbols, the dividends, and I just use that to track my projected annual dividend income. Um, and then I also use Excel basically just to put in all the stocks that I own with their respective amounts, uh, market values. And then I that's how I actually generate that monthly update that you probably see on my Twitter when I post that pie chart. The pie chart is actually uh, a result of that sheet that I have. So that's the only Excel that I do with regards to investments, but I don't plug numbers and put them in Excel. I, I don't do any of that. Now, that is not to say that I don't look at numbers. I do. I just don't put them in an Excel, right? But uh, I like to look at annual reports of companies. So I'll look, you know, the last two, three, four years just to check that everything's moving more or less in the right direction. But the thing is, though, even more so than just numbers, because numbers tell a story, but sometimes the story can be a bit muddled. It depends on what the company's doing, right? So I really try to listen to the earnings calls as well, because that is where they really outline their strategy and what they're doing. And what's good about the earnings calls too is that you have the analysts' questions at the end, right? Where they ask the tough questions like, why did this number look like this? Or what are you expecting the impact of this thing you're doing, right? And you see how the CEO or CFO or whoever responds, and that gives a lot more context on those numbers. So I don't have these, you know, pass or fail rules because, again, depending on the context of what the uh, the leadership says in those calls, there could be very good reasons why your net income declined 50% over the course of one year, you know, maybe that you made a bunch of huge investments or something, uh, you know, lots of capex, whatever, and that could explain it, but then maybe that the year after that, uh, your numbers will go way up as a result of these investments, right? So that's why I, I don't like to plug things in Excel and, and have these like hard rules on them because 
sometimes numbers can be slightly misleading. Now, when it comes to quarterly earnings, and I must, of course, disclose I am not sponsored by them. I don't even know who invented this app or whatever. I don't know anything about them, but I found this app called Quarter uh, on the App Store, Q-U-A-R-T-R. It's really good. I listen to it all the time. It's basically like Spotify for quarterly earnings. So you have all the major corporations uh, on the Canadian and American exchange. You have all their quarterly earnings calls, and it also gives you the numbers and, and in some cases, the presentation presentation slides. So I like that app a lot, and I use it a lot. And that's where I listen to all these earnings because having to like go into the website, the investor relations of each company, and register to be there for the earnings, like it's annoying, you know? I, I, but I like having everything in one place. So it's a really good app that I do highly recommend. Okay, moving on to your second question. Tools to stay close to one's investment thesis. What are the best practices <clears throat> to keep track of one's investment plan via a journal or tracker for each stock? Is there a template that you use to check when to buy more stocks, when to cut your losses, when to collect profits, etc.? That is also an excellent question. It's important for everyone to know why they buy something, and it's also important to know if their thesis changes over time. Now, what I like about most of my stock selections, at least my top ones, is that these are multi-generational companies where the thesis kind of, I don't expect it to change very much. Or, sorry, I shouldn't say the thesis, but the business model. So something like a Canadian National Railway, of course, they're more efficient now. Some of the technologies that they use are a bit different, but overall, the business model now is the exact same as 100 years ago. Same for something like a Bank of Nova Scotia, you know what I mean? It's true that their strategy has changed a bit. They weren't as international 100 years ago as they are now, but the core operations, they are trying to be a bank, is the same, right? So when you start off with companies like that, I find it easier to not have to have journals or trackers for stuff like that. However, if you are more into the business of, you know, startups that are trying lots of things and they, they have to pivot a lot, then that would be a situation where I would probably try more to do journals or things like that. But for now, basically, I'm not in a position where I've needed to, so I don't have any of that. As for the second part of your question, uh, when to buy more stocks, when to cut losses, when to take profit, etc. You know, I don't have a very big rule. I would say some of my core holdings, the ones that I want to hold on to for life, again, like a Canadian National Railway or a Brookfield, I have only bought, I have never sold and I would like to continue to accumulate those because I do think they have a bright future, right? So I, I would say it would be unlikely that I would sell, but also at the core of my strategy, I would say is opportunism. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I don't like to constrain myself with too many rules. If there were a situation where, let's say, Brookfield stock tomorrow, it jumps 5,000%. Now, I don't know how or why that would happen, but let's say it does then obviously I wouldn't be like, oh, but it's a core holding I want to keep forever, right? I would probably sell, <laughs> take the 5,000% gain, and then put all of that into, you know, a broad ETF, and then retire, <laughs> you know? So I, I don't have templates for things. I have more or less those rules in my head, so my core holdings I want to keep adding to, the opportunistic buys, those are more for, let's say, swing trading, and then I have my uh, dividend stocks, uh, like uh, income stocks that those I'm also more okay to sell. But generally, I am more of a buy and hold investor. And, and, you know, I sell if I see that it's a good opportunity. But 
I, I tend to be more into the accumulation. So I buy a lot and I don't sell very much. And then your first question, I know there are many tools out there to help you estimate your projected annual dividend income, but is there a template that you use to have a rough ballpark figure? Uh, oh, well, I did kind of half answer this question in the first one, but I'll say it uh, with more detail. So yeah, I use Excel. Um, I just, you know, have a few columns. So a column for the amount of shares that I own, then another column for the dividend per share. Then multiply these two into a third column, which is the dividend payment. Uh, I also have a column for the frequency. So is it January, April, July, October, or is it monthly, or is it March, June, September, December, etc.? Then I have another column for yearly dividends, and then I have two others for monthly and daily. And all of that gets added up uh, into a yearly, total yearly dividend. So if I look at my Excel sheet right now, my estimate right now is $3,133.24. Of course, those are estimates. It's not always exact because you have ETFs, right, that don't always give you the same dividend each time. And here what I like to do, if it's, let's say, a quarterly paying one, I just take the average of the last four. Uh, and that's what I set as the dividend. And then each new dividend payment, I update it because, of course, it changes. But usually, you know what I mean, it doesn't fluctuate to the point that it makes a very big difference on the annual dividend income, especially since ETFs still make up a pretty low proportion of my dividends in total. And actually, if I look, I'm looking literally as we speak at my sheet and I see my two ETFs. So let's see, my largest ETF is VFV, which is the S&P 500, and that's 3.4% of my dividends. And then we have SCHD, which is 2.4%. And those are my two large. So, that, you know, 5%, it's not very much. Uh, majority of my dividends really do come from uh, individual stocks. Okay, moving on to another question. So yesterday I made a tweet saying, you know, I just bought one more unit of the XEI ETF with some leftover dividends. XEI, of course, is the Canadian high dividend uh, ETF. So it has all these great dividend names such as Bell, TC Energy, Enbridge, all the Canadian banks. You know that ETF very well. Uh, and someone asked me, what do you think of XCG? And I was just scratching my head, XCG, what is that? Never heard of it. So I took the time to dive a little into it. XCG is the Canadian Growth Index ETF. And wow, I was quite impressed. So their investment objective is to get long-term capital growth by replicating the performance of the Dow Jones Canada Select Growth Index net of expenses. When they ask why XCG, they say it provides exposure to large and mid-sized Canadian companies whose earnings are expected to grow at an above average rate relative to the market. And it can be used to tilt your portfolio towards growth stocks. So growth here is the objective. Starting off with the good, I really like the sector diversification. You get a good mix of industrials at 29% and also IT, so tech at 18%, followed by materials, 14, energy at nine, financials at eight, consumer staples at seven, consumer discretionary at six, communications at 3.4 and utilities at 2.6. So you got some good diversification over here. You're not overly concentrated just in one sector. As we all know, a lot of people who went hard on tech in 2021 ended up with a, you know, 80% combined portfolio drop, right? But you wouldn't get things like that with this ETF, which is cool. Now this fund has 39 holdings. 
Uh, and among the top 10 are some names that I like. It has Shopify, which I don't own, but I do admire them. You know, it's great business. They have Canadian Pacific Railway, Canadian National Railway, Brookfield Corporation, TC Energy, Constellation Software, Alimentation Couchetard, Waste Connections, Nutrien, and Telus. Those are the top 10. Those are solid picks for top 10. You know what I mean? But now onto the part that I don't like. It is an expensive ETF. The fee... Management expense ratio is 0.55%. <sighs> I don't really like having an ETF that is that expensive. I, I believe, you know, if you have something like, like XEI is what, 0.2 or 0.22? And even that's quite a bit, you know, compared to the S&P 500 VFE, that's less than 0.1%. That is kind of where I would like my ETF fees to be, so... When you have a 0.55% and the dividend's not even that high, that does eat into your returns, so I don't like that. Then when you look at the long-term performance, uh, the average annual return over 10 years is 8.16%, and since, since inception, it's 5.94, which is also less than the S&P, so, so that's, that's a little unfortunate. Doesn't return as much as I would have expected it to, being that given that it's a growth ETF, Maybe that will be different in the future. I'm not sure. So overall, I do feel positively towards it. I mean, I think the holdings are pretty good. I think it provides a relatively safer exposure to growth stocks than if you held, you know, a few individually. So it could be a good complement to something like an XEI for, let's say, an investor that only wants ETFs. You could have one just the S&P 500 for that American exposure, and then you could have some XEI for dividends in Canada, and then this one XCG for Canadian growth. Uh, but yeah, just the MER is a little high for me, so I, I wouldn't switch out my stocks for that. But still overall, a nice ETF. Thank you for bringing this one on my radar. Anyhow, my friends, that concludes this episode. Uh, thank you, you know, for sending in your questions. Maybe I should do an episode like this, let's say once per month or something, where I just answer everyone's questions. I think that could be nice. But uh, anyhow, as always, I appreciate your support. Thank you for tuning in to the Newcomer Investor channel, and I look forward to connecting again with you soon.